So let me open this up in a word of prayer first. Uh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the wisdom of King Solomon, for the truths recorded in your word that we might learn from it. And Father, as we look into this book, into the topic of anger, Father, I pray that you may teach us through uh, his wisdom and that, Lord, that the wisdom that inspired him, your Holy Spirit, might be the wisdom by which uh, we are taught today, by which we may gain understanding. And so we thank you and we just pray for this time that I might teach your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing this series in Proverbs, which was written so that King Solomon could pass on his wisdom to his son. And there are many areas in which we could all gain wisdom in how we think and how we act. And today we're looking uh, at how a wise person deals with anger. Now, as a disclaimer and preface, there is a type of righteous anger and a type of unrighteous anger. But for the purposes of this lesson, we aren't going to cover righteous anger, mostly because I'm trying to stick to what's found in the book of Proverbs. And the writers of Proverbs recognized the dangers of unrighteous anger and spoke against it. And most of us have more difficulty and experiences dealing with unrighteous anger than with righteous anger. And as Pastor Ray talked about in his intro to the series, sin is connected to foolishness and foolishness and childishness are similar concepts. And this is very true. And King Solomon even writes in Proverbs 22, 15, that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, and the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. And when I look back from my childhood to now, I can tell you that there is a big difference. Some things that used to make me angry are like when my parents nagged me to clean my room or to do things that I didn't want to do. And as I was growing up, I used to be a brat and annoy my bigger and older brother over and over again until he would get mad and respond by beating me up, and then I would be filled with rage at him even though it was my fault. And I don't know if you like to play video games. I used to love playing first-person shooter games, and I'm sure you can empathize with my rage when I would take aim at someone only to, be get, to get headshot by players I'm convinced were hackers. And in college, I would sometimes get into arguments with my girlfriend at the time, and I would go into a silent rage and refuse to talk to her for days. You know, I don't know how my parents dealt with me because my temper tantrums were pretty terrible. I mean, imagine a 10-year-old yelling at his parents, I hate you, I wish you were dead, and punching holes in walls. But that was me, full of foolishness. But thankfully, I'm not like that anymore. I've become a lot more temperate, less selfish, more considerate. And so what about you? What makes you angry? Is there anything that really sets you off? I mean, even outside of normal things, especially in these COVID-19 days, there are a lot of things that probably make you angry. I mean, people are angry about having to shelter in place. People are, are angry about not sheltering in place and having to go into work or school and risk getting COVID-19. People are angry about wearing a mask. People are angry about those who refuse to wear a mask. People are angry about not getting a haircut. And maybe you're sheltering in place and getting angry with the people in your house. But ultimately, you know what sets you off. And, so, and if so, hopefully, today's lesson will help you to learn how to gain maturity and how you respond to the people, to the situations, or to the experiences that cause you anger. So let's get into the book of Proverbs. Now, if you know me, uh, you know that I like to give an outline. I like people to know where I'm going, where I'm headed, so that we don't get lost, so you know that there's a, a straight path to where I'm trying to go. And so my outline today, I'm going to cover some sources of anger and conflict that are covered in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I'm going to cover four ways that a wise person controls their anger. And 
and even touch briefly on the consequences of not dealing rightly with anger. So when we look at the sources of anger and conflict, we'll see that interspersed throughout Proverbs are several mentions and examples of sources of anger. And these still apply today. Now, what I'm going to look at is not an exhaustive list. It's just some of the ones that I found. So one example is parental discipline towards a child. Solomon writes in Proverbs 15, 20, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. In uh, 1926, he who assaults his father and drives his mother away is a shameful and disgraceful son. In Proverbs 20, 20, he who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in times of darkness. Now, I've experienced both sides of this. I was, I've already mentioned as a child, I would get angry at my parents because I didn't like them telling me what to do, especially when I was in the middle of doing something that I wanted to do whether it was to practice piano while I was in the middle of reading a book or telling me to go to bed while I was in the middle of playing video games or telling me to wash the dishes. And as a father now, I see how my children get angry at me when I tell them to do the exact same thing. I see the anger on their faces, I hear their exasperated sighs, and I feel their angry stomping as they walk away. Another source is spousal conflict. And uh, Solomon writes about this many times. Proverbs 19.13, the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. In Proverbs 21.9 and 25.24, it is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. In Proverbs 21.19, it is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. And I know this seems very one-sided against women, but we have to remember the context, right? This is Solomon writing to his son, but which we are now able to read and learn wisdom from. And Solomon would have much experience in this topic of wives because as 1 Kings 11.3 records, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. But a marital relationship is at its core a relationship between two people. And as the saying goes, it takes two to tango. Problems can arise from either direction, whether it's from the husband or from the wife, but it does take two people to keep that disagreement going. Another source is when you are corrected or reproved by people. In Proverbs 15, 31 and 32, he whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. In uh, Proverbs 23, 9, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. In Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, it's never easy to be told when you are in the wrong or to be chastised. It can be embarrassing, hurtful. It can make you angry. Maybe your immediate response is to think, how dare they? Who do they think they are? Or maybe you think to all the ways that they are being a hypocrite for pointing out your flaws without addressing their own. And it's not hard to see how this could be a source of anger. Another one is quarrels and disagreements. Proverbs 23, keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. Proverbs 20, 17, 14, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it, it breaks out. In Proverbs 29, verse 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. Everyone has opinions. 
And the stronger your opinions are, the angrier you are when people disagree with you or fail to see things your way. Disagreement easily turns to quarreling, which turns to anger, which turns to hatred, and then the end of respect and friendship. And, and last one I'm going to bring up is when you are tested and disciplined by the Lord or, or when we blame God for things that we experience in life. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. Proverbs 19.3, The foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. You see, our situation and our circumstances in life can turn out in a way we did not expect and in a way in which we did not desire whether it's through our own devices or because of the Lord's intervention. And it's during these times that we can become angry with God, blaming him for unfairness, for abandoning us, even for his lack of love. But the question I want to deal with is, how do wise people deal with and control their anger? And what we're going to look at is four ways, and it might end up being three depending on how long it takes, um, but we're going to look at four ways that a wise person controls their anger. Now, instead of addressing each scenario or source that I listed before, I wanted to cover some general underlying principles that are found in Proverbs. And these are things that uh, we should do to control our anger. Now, the first one is to seek love and relationship building. You know, we think about it and we are made in the image of God. And we are made to have relationships with people. But it's these relationships that are in danger when we give in to anger. Whether it's the relationship between a parent and child or between friends, uh, responding improperly in anger could mean the end of that relationship. And that even includes our relationship with God. Proverbs 3.3 says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Proverbs 10.12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. And Proverbs 15.17 says, better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. And we look at these and we see highlighted kindness, love. And I want you to picture an intersection with a four-way stop sign. And we have two cars that arrive at that intersection at the same time. Both people are in a hurry and both people want to go. Now imagine what happens if both think that they have the right of way, so they both go at the same time. Well, what's going to happen? They're going to collide in the intersection. And this is what it's like when two people disagree and they both insist on being right. When we let anger reign, it's like plowing forward, concerned only about where you want to go and not caring about who gets hurt in the process. But I ask you, which is better? To have the right of way and end up in an accident or to yield the right of way and avoid an accident? If you've never been in an accident, let me tell you that dealing with insurance companies and fixing your car can drag on for weeks and weeks and be a big headache and your car is almost guaranteed to never be the same again. And the same thing can be true of our relationships that are governed by anger. It may feel good in the moment to have the last word that wins an argument, but how good is it really when it leaves your relationship in a wreck? Look again at Proverbs 3.3, which says that kindness and truth must be written upon our hearts. You see, kindness is the motivation, truth is the foundation. 
And kindness is our emotional motivation that only makes sense when it is directed towards others. We can't be kind to ourselves. That's just called selfishness. Kindness can only go outwards. And if we have kindness towards others, then we do not let anger define the nature of that relationship with others. We think about it and how would it be if someone asked your best friend to describe their friendship with you and they thought about it and answered, hmm, anger. And that wouldn't be a good sign. And the truth is the foundation of God's uh, commands and, and uh, the truth uh, that is mentioned here is the foundation of God's commands and the ways by which we must make sure to align all our actions with. Now, I want you to think about it. What is the greatest anger in the world? There is no greater anger in all the world than all the universe, both physical and supernatural, than God's anger and wrath towards sin. And yet as Christians, we know of God's love towards us. Romans 5, 8 to 10 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, this is the evidence of God's love that he sent his son to die for us. And he did that while we were yet sinners, under wrath, and as enemies. What if God were a human using his anger as motivation instead of his love? We can be thankful that he isn't and that he doesn't. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. You see, when we have kindness and truth written on our hearts, this will help us to be slow to anger. No matter who is right or who is wrong, often the best course of action is to yield your right to be right so that you can right the relationship. And when we have kindness as a motivation, it means that our focus is not on ourself, it's on the other person. And when we have truth written on our hearts, it means we are choosing to pattern our actions after God's own way instead of our own. God loved us so much that he didn't destroy us for our wrongs, but sent his son to cover over our offenses against him and to rebuild the relationship with him. And when we talk about relationships, God is the picture. Because we think about his anger and his wrath and what results, what results is the ultimate picture of separation that condemns sinners to hell. But we think about his love, and his love is the ultimate picture of relationship and union with him. So when, we're, so in, when we consider the difference between an immature and a mature person, we see that a childish and immature person lets loose their anger to destroy relationships. But a mature person pursues love to strengthen relationships. The second way that a wise person controls the anger is by responding, not reacting. You know, we look at what characterizes angry people, and here's what Solomon says. Proverbs 12, 16, a fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. Proverbs 12, 18, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
Proverbs 14, 16 to 17 reads, A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Now we look at this, and what is common in all these verses? We see at once, rashly, thrust, quick. And we see that angry people react quickly and immediately. When we think of a child's temper tantrum, they come on quick and immediately. And sometimes as adults, it's no different, although we may be able to hide it a little bit better. But when we speak quickly in anger, it only serves to make matters worse because the result is like nuclear escalation. Anger means that people pull out the big responses that will do the most damage, and it can be things from even long, long time ago. But the wiser way is to, to act is to pause and respond with a gentle answer. You see, King Solomon says uh, in Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And in Proverbs 15:18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Proverbs 17:27, he who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. In Proverbs 29, 11, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. And again, we must think about God's response to sin as our pattern. And yes, there are instances of God responding quickly to punish sin. But if that were the predominant response, we would all be living in constant fear of destruction. The truth is that God's, God's kindness toward us is seen in his patience with us. 2 Peter 3, 8-10, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. But we also know this because God declared it himself. And I want to take a look at Exodus. When Moses asked God to show him God's glory, and most of us are familiar with what happens. But I don't know if you ever thought of the correlation so I want to give you the context. You see, I think it's no coincidence that God ties the display of his glory and his name with the incident that happens with the two tablets. Because we think back to when Moses had just come down from the mountain meeting with God, and he has the two tablets in his hand. These are the tablets that were God's work and the writing that was God's writing, as it tells us in Exodus 32, 16. And Moses has already been told by God what to expect, because God tells Moses, go down at once, for the people have corrupted themselves. But when Moses sees the scene for himself, we see his response in Exodus 32, 19, Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. But we look now in Exodus 34 where Moses must cut these two stone tablets himself and to go up to the mountain with these two stone tablets. And, it, and as he holds this reminder of his hasty act of anger, it's here that God proclaims his name to Moses. 
And so we read in Exodus 34, verses 4 to 7, So he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. You see, this is our God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And this is the same kindness and truth that Solomon tells us that we must write on our hearts. This is our God who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And we look and think that if this is his response, how must our response be when we are sinned against and offended by others, when we are tempted to become angry at mistreatment or disagreements? God is not like us, and we must be thankful for that. But in response, we must become more like him to become slow to anger. And so when we consider, again, the difference between uh, an immature person and someone who's mature, we see that a childish and immature person reacts quickly to anger, but a mature person is slow to anger. The third way that a wise person controls the anger is to be humble and not proud, especially about your self-understanding and your sense of your own self-right. And we think back to when people come to tell you that you're doing something wrong. Does it make you angry? Does it chafe you to have someone criticize you or your work or your behavior? And if so, why? Well, Solomon knew the answer. He says in Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. In Proverbs eleven two, when pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. You see, there is a correlation between a person's pride and with their incorrect conduct. And this is because people who are proud think that their way of doing things is always correct. So their response to someone who corrects them will be one of arrogance and disbelief and anger. You know, on occasion, I watch reality TV competitions. You know, things like cooking competitions, singing competitions, uh, special effects competitions like Face Off, or on occasion, even fashion shows like Project One Runway. And don't judge. I mean, I think it's fascinating to see the process of people making things. But as the contestants go before the judging table, sometimes the judges completely cut them down for the quality of their contribution. And in some cases, they then cut to the contestant interviewer response, which is something along the lines of, I don't care what they think. I know it's good. And, you know, there's something to be said about being proud of your work, especially when you've done your best. But being convinced about the quality of your work and being convinced about the quality of your life are two different matters, especially when the former is often judged on opinions and the latter against the word of God. And yet if we can become so outraged over someone's comment about something we made or how we look or how we perform, how much more outraged when it's something so personal 
as our attitude or conduct or belief. You see, our anger during reproof and correction must be tempered by humility, and specifically the humble acknowledgement that all of us are human and far from the perfection of Christ. You see, God's goals and purposes for us are to make us complete in Christ. And this is what we're told in Colossians 1.28. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. You see, God himself shows his love towards us in his sanctification and his discipline of us. And this process will never be complete while we live on this earth. Now, do we dare chafe against this goal? You see, whether the correction comes from God himself or through his instruments that he's appointed, a response of anger is a rejection that there might be anything wrong with our lives, whereas a response of humility is an acknowledgement that there might be something that we have been blind to. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12 says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 6, 20 to 24, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and teaching is light. And reproof and reproofs for discipline are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. And I want to highlight that last portion. You see, reproof and correction is for a purpose, and it's to keep our way secure. And to prevent our temptation from becoming angry, we must keep in mind that love undergirds all proper correction and reproof, whether it's from other people or whether it's from God. And Solomon doesn't pull his punches. Look at what he writes in Proverbs 12.1. He who hates reproof is stupid. Proverbs 15.5, a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. And Proverbs 15.10, he who hates reproof will die. You see, when we look at this, again, we see that there's a difference between an immature person and a mature person, because a childish and immature person becomes angry when corrected. But a mature person listens intently to correction, to see whether there is truth in it, and to uh, modify their behavior. And fourthly, I want to, uh, the fourth way that a wise person controls the anger is by looking at the right truths of a situation not at only the wrongs. Now, th this is especially true of anger that comes about as a result of disagreement in opinions. Because when two strong opinions come against one another, it is like two sticks bashing each other until one is broken. So this is essentially a combination of the previous three points, of pursuing love and relationship building, of responding and not reacting, of being humble and not proud. And the goal is that a wise person will seek to understand another's opinion and viewpoint, which causes them to think in a way that is different from you. But on the other hand, impatient and angry people will not be satisfied until everyone agrees with them. And here's what Solomon says, Proverbs 18.13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Proverbs 18.17, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. 
Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. In Proverbs 20, verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made both of them. And this takeaway here is that everyone's opinion has some truth or reality behind it. But a foolish person chooses to ignore that and persists in insisting that their opinion is the most valid. But Solomon wisely says that quarreling is like the bars of a castle. And what do bars of a castle do but serve to separate and isolate people and to keep people out? And that's what arguments do. Arguments cause division and separation. And I'm not saying that we can't have our differences of opinion because we all have individual experiences that influence our thoughts and actions. But we must recognize that if that is true of us, then that is true of other people too. And arguing over whose opinion is more correct will not serve to bring people into our midst. It only serves to keep them out like bars. And God gave us ears to hear and eyes to see, and this is what we must seek to do in any quarrel or dispute. And so we look at this difference between a childish and immature person and a mature person, and we see that a childish and immature person becomes angry at disagreement. But a mature person seeks to understand the source of disagreement. And lastly, I want to look at uh, the consequences of not dealing rightly with anger. And I'm gonna cover this very shortly uh, because I don't want to uh, extend uh, too long. But if we choose to continue to act foolishly by giving our anger free reign, there will be several consequences. A wise person will recognize these consequences and choose, uh, that, and choose to decide that they are not worth the actions, but a foolish person will disregard them. And that's what Pastor Ray taught us last week, that a foolish person fails to count the cost of their actions in the aftermath of their, de of their decision. And I want us to make sure that we are all aware of what that cost is. Now, I'm not going to pull out any verses to support these. We've already covered a lot of scripture. Um, but, you know, this is a combination of personal observations or experiences and even just the logical result of choosing the opposite of the four ways that I've already mentioned. And, we, and uh, those three are, uh, firstly, a decreasing threshold to further bouts of anger. Because what happens is that a person with a lack of self-control uh, gets used to losing control. And so we think about angry people and they are quick tempered. And not only that, they become quicker tempered because their fuse gets shorter and shorter. Another consequence is an unrealistic and potentially self-destructive view of self and an increase in foolishness. Because when you choose anger over understanding and discernment, especially when it comes to biblical correction, then you will continue to proceed down your oblivious path to ruin and destruction. And the third consequence is a shrinking circle of friends and relationships. And this is both because you get angry with people and don't want to have anything to do with them, and because similarly, people get hurt by you and don't want to have anything to do with you. Now, none of these consequences are healthy, and they are also not edifying for a mature believer. Now, in conclusion, uh, at the start of this talk, I talked about the things that used to make me angry. But, you know, I also want to tell you why these things no longer make me angry. Now, some of them are things that we naturally grow out of because that's part of the process of growing up from being a child who has little responsibilities and is free to follow their desires 
to becoming an adult who has responsibilities and must constantly make sacrifices and compromises. Now I think back and you know, I can't get mad at my parents for telling me to do things anymore because the reality is now I'm a parent and I can see things from their perspective. I, I, I look at my kids and I understand that I love my kids and I want to teach my kids to be responsible. So I have to constantly remind them to be diligent with their responsibilities. Now they don't like it any more than I did when I was a child. But as a child, my only perspective was that their orders stood in the way of me and my desires. But again, as a parent, now I see the different perspective. When I think about the video games I used to play, well, I don't get mad at when losing at video games anymore because I've come to understand that video games are just meaningless distractions and I should enjoy the luxury of the experience rather than rage at the outcome. Because the truth is that while I want to play video games, I can't choose to spend my time on video games because I have to wash the stack of dishes in the sink because my son, who I told to wash the dishes five times, didn't do it. And when I think about my relationship with my wife, well, I don't go into silent rages at my wife because after my first uh, dating relationship, I learned that no amount of anger is worth losing the, the most valuable earthly relationship in my life. And you see, this is Solomon's point. Solomon told us the reason why he wrote this book in the very beginning of verses of Proverbs 1, the, which read, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Now, I don't know whether you consider yourself a foolish person or a mature person, but anger can become a situation where we demonstrate our foolishness, where we act unwisely, imprudently, naively, and unlearnedly. And so we need instruction. We need prudence. We need knowledge and discretion in our anger. And what I learned is that when we are in that moment of anger, we only see things from a certain perspective, which can cause us to react hastily and with undesirable results. And what we need to do is to shift our perspective, to see how things stack up against God's value system, and to see whether they are in accordance with God's character. Now, last week, Pastor Ray brought up the famous story in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 to 28 of Solomon's judgment over two women arguing over a baby. And I want to look at that story again from the lens of anger. Because we have two women who come to King Solomon, and we see that they're both angry. One woman is angry because her baby has been taken away from her. And the other woman is angry because liars need anger to be their evidence of the truth. But we see what happens when Solomon orders the baby to be cut in half. What happens with the true mother's anger? Her anger turns into fear, while the liar's anger remains resolute. And the difference here is that when the true mother changes her perspective from the theft of her child to the impending death of her child, she decides that winning this case is not worth the cost. And though this incident is by no means prescriptive, it does illustrate the concept that as long as our perspective remains fixed, 
so too will our anger. But if we shift our perspective to something else, it will change our anger and our response to what really matters. But what perspective we change it to must matter. You see, when we are able to move beyond the limited perspective of how a situation directly impacts us, then we are able to choose a different course of action. When we move beyond a focus on ourself, on our experiences, or our opinions, or our being wronged, or our inflated sense of self-accomplishment and stature, then we are able to take steps to control our anger. You see, when we set our attention instead on the truth of God's patient and loving kindness towards us, his never-ending work of sanctification upon us, and his acts of restoration of the relationship between himself and mankind, then we will pattern ourselves after him. And here are our points again, right? As, as people who seek to be wise, we need to choose to pursue love and relationship building instead of damaging relationships. We need to choose to respond slowly and carefully instead of reacting hastily. We need to choose to be humble and not proud. We need to choose to look at the right truths of a situation and not at all the wrongs. And again, I want to bring up God's name. God's name is the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness from thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Now, this is a really long name, and I included it, the whole thing, instead of cutting it off after, you know, halfway in the middle, because God does not dismiss the truth of anger and punishment, but he does choose to delay it out of love. And we, when we think about it, I want you to think about how apparent that was when Jesus was at the end of his earthly life. When Jesus was being unjustly treated and scourged and mocked and rejected, he could have responded in anger and outrage. He could have called down legions of angels in the righteous wrath of God. And yet he remained silent before his butchers. And we hope that he is the image that we seek to follow. So let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that you have given us the ultimate picture of love and the ultimate picture of relationship. And Lord, we know that we fall short in many ways. We know that maybe we do better in one thing or worse in another. Uh, but Lord, there are still always situations in our life which are, may tempt us to have anger. And so Lord, we pray that we may have a, a right focus. May our focus be moved away from ourselves and anything that, might, that we might experience. And Lord, may we look to how you treat us and how you uh, have acted towards us and how you continue to act towards us in kindness. Lord, that every day that we are alive, it is a, a day and example that you have not shown your wrath upon uh, our sin. And so we give you thanks and pray that we may uh, act accordingly and rightly in response to you. So we thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now that's the end of my discussion. Uh, as some, uh, I, I guess you guys have some small group time. I, I include some uh, application questions here that you can discuss. Uh, for example, things like what situations cause you anger? And even to meditate on, well, why do they cause you anger? And, and, you know, thinking about how do you deal with anger 
And in what ways do you need to change your perspective to change your responses to anger? And lastly, a very important question. Is there any relationship that you have damaged by your anger that you need to repair? So uh, that's it. Uh, thanks for your time.